somehow art came up and he said, you know, sometime I'd love to show you my art. And I was like, oh, he makes art. And I got this like burst of like, whoa, that's cool. I didn't know he made art. So we hop in my car and we drive to his place, which is just a few minutes away. And I go inside and I'm like, oh my God. Do you think he was picking up on your shock at what you were seeing? Oh, I wasn't shocked yet. This is First Date Stories, the podcast, the show where women in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond talk all about the first dates they've been on. From the wildly successful to the completely disastrous and everything in between. Here's your host, Jody Klein, founder of FirstDateStories.com. Hi, everyone. We're back from our break. And my goodness. How the world has changed since we closed out season two. I hope that you and your loved ones are doing okay and that you're dealing with the impact of the pandemic as well as you possibly can. As we all know, the pandemic has touched each of our lives and changed so much. What hasn't changed is that we humans are social beings. And while we used to sit or stand beside someone without fear, Now, doing that simple natural act can feel risky. Of course, this has had a huge impact on dating, which was complicated enough before the whole pandemic hit, right? (laughs) Thanks to COVID, you may have decided to press pause on dating, and there is nothing wrong with that decision. You need to do what's right for you. If you've decided to continue dating, you may be trying to figure out how to do it safely. One thing is certain. You're not alone in any of this. Millions of women and men have wrestled with these questions over the past months. Whether you've been dating virtually, doing social distance dating, or put it all on hold for now, the fact that you are listening to my voice is an indication that you are a believer in the power of love, that you are a hopeful person, and that you enjoy a good story. This season is filled with memorable stories that took place before and during the pandemic. We've got terrific interviews with dating experts coming your way as well. All the episodes have the same purpose, to entertain you, to have you hear from women like you, and to help you become a wiser, more in-the-know dater. At some point, somebody has told you to trust your gut. It's advice that we all get and that so many of us choose to follow. Well, this season kicks off with a story that makes you wonder if your own intuition can steer you in the wrong direction after all. The date that Jessica is about to take you through, which happened before COVID, came about because she asked her cat's veterinarian out. So big props to her for doing that. But she makes a shocking discovery that no one could have seen coming and is probably unlike anything you've heard before. Here's Jessica's first date story. Hello and welcome. Jessica, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear the story that you're going to share with us. Before you do, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I am in my mid-40s. I've never been married. I'm a coach and artist, and I love being outside and traveling and just being social. Let's get into the date. How long ago did the date happen? It was a little over a year ago. 
And what's the name of the guy who you went out with? Sean. How did Sean come into your life? He was the veterinarian for my cat, Guinevere. He's your vet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Yeah, the funny thing is that I was dating online too. And then um, I had met him. Yeah, I had this little crush on him. I remember waiting in the, in the room with my cat. I didn't know the vet at all. It was just the closest one to my house. And so I was waiting in the room for the vet to come in. And I saw on the wall these uh, diplomas from the 70s. That was the decade I was born. So I assumed this person was a lot older than me. But then he walked in. I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the guy on the wall, are you? Exactly. (laughs) What happened? Was he subbing? There was more than one vet there. What did you think when you saw him? I was intrigued and distracted a little bit. And I thought he was really cute and had good energy. How did he treat Guinevere? He was really good with her, which is also attractive. You know, he's really sweet. And not all vets are like that either. Like, so he was just really natural with her and really sweet and, and listened to me as well. And so that's, those are all good qualities <laughs> in a vet and otherwise. <laughs> what sort of vibe were you getting from him? You know, I just remembered something that I was severely on the rebound when I met him, actually. So I was like trying to tame myself, but I was definitely attracted to him. Like I told my friends about him. Did you end up going back to see him with Guinevere more than you needed to in order to (laughs) see him again? (laughs) No, no. But unluckily, she actually had some health problems. um, And so I went back a lot in that first year. And I would always try to see him instead of the other vet because I liked him as a vet more too. So I got to know him quite a bit over the year. And then there were some pretty intense moments too where I was really emotionally vulnerable because I was afraid that Winnebear was going to die. And he was great through the whole thing. You mentioned that Sean had a really nice manner about him. How did he help you through that challenging period? Yeah, I feel like he, he's a really good listener and um, he's patient and uh, he just has a calm presence. We had in common travel. So after being there a few times, I don't know how it came up, but we started talking about travel and he went on a trip, a two week trip to Asia. And so when he got back, I was really curious to hear about his trip and talk about that. And so we had this really great bond through travel and also speaking Spanish. Oh, the two of you... We're speaking Spanish during the doctor's appointments? No, but we, he speaks quite a few languages, which is very sexy to me. <laughs> I only speak Spanish besides English. During these appointments, were you picking up anything from him that made you think that perhaps he was interested in you more than just as the cat mom? I had no idea because he was very professional and I knew he couldn't like make a move because he was my vet. There were a few times where I was like nerve wrackingly, like, how do I connect with him more? How do I do this? You know? And I was kind of cyber stalking him a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I didn't know if he liked me or not, but I knew our conversations were getting, were becoming more interactive about more than just my cat, you know, about travel specifically. All right. So let's go back to the cyber stalking. What exactly were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was just looking for like more information about him to make make sure he was single and, you know, learn more about him. You were on his social media sites. You were. There wasn't really a lot to um, find. He's not really active on social media. So it wasn't like a deep rabbit hole. It was just like, you know, surface thing. I get it. Makes sense. It's what we do these days. 
how did things progress from the point that you were Guinevere's mom to the point you guys were heading out on a date together? I can't remember exactly how far it was after my cat was feeling better. I was like trying to get up the gumption to to ask him out somehow and try to figure out what that where that line is. Do I ask for tea or coffee or like, you know, how do I do this? And I was really nervous about this. (laughs) Finally, I said, I was like, hey, if you want to like have lunch sometime and talk more about travel, I would love that. And he was like, okay, cool. And I had his cell phone number at this point because we've been texting about my cat because stuff was so, you know, urgent sometimes, which is really sweet of him to, to be open to that. But I had kept it to talking about the cat only. Yeah, he texted me and we made a plan to have lunch, I think the next week. Nice. How long after you initially met him did this It was a little bit more than a year. So you had had an opportunity to really spend time with him through that year. Yeah, I had been, I don't know how many times I was in the office, you know, during that first year. He texts you, what did he say and what were the plans? So we decided to go somewhere close. There's kind of just two options, like one on one side down the street and one on the other side down the street. (laughs) So we talked about those two options and picked one and it's a cute cafe and we made a plan. Excellent. How were you feeling when you were getting ready to go out and meet him? I was nervous sighted. (laughs) Nervous sighted? Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I have never heard that word before. Okay. So you were feeling nervous sighted. Did you call your girlfriends before you left and headed out? I don't know. I know that I told people that I was going out with him because it was like this lingering thing that my friends knew about. Going on for a year. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I wasn't that close to asking him out until, you know, the last part of that year. Got it. So tell me what happened when you showed up at the cafe. Well, it was funny because on the way to the cafe, I was driving down the road and he pulls out right beside me from the vet office. So it's a a four lane road. So we're waving at each other, you know, and so then we pull in together beside each other and I, and I'm making this mean something, just how it was flowing. And so we, you know, we get off out of our our vehicles, whatever. And then we go in and we walk in together and I don't remember the first part of it, just getting there and getting settled in, ordering something. And I think we went Dutch and you, you go to the counter and order. I think he ordered quite a bit of food. <laughs> I was like, wow, he ordered like three things. <laughs> I just ordered like a sandwich or something. So the two of you are at the cafe, you're eating. How did that feel? And what did you guys talk about? Do you remember? Yeah, we, we talked about travel. So we talked about where we've been and what's next. It was fun. And then we actually spoke Spanish for like half an hour. Have you ever been on a date before where you switched from English to Spanish and spent a lot of time chatting in a foreign language? Not with a native speaker of English. That must have been fun. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. I love speaking Spanish. And so it was really fun. And his Spanish is better than mine which is also sexy to me. You know, I got to practice my Spanish and learn a little bit and connect with him. And I feel like when I speak Spanish, it's like a different part of my brain or my soul is accessed. So it's like a different energy. So it was really fun. So you're feeling it. What clues, what things were you picking up from him? We stayed as long as we could before he had to go back to work. I think he was surprised at how much time had passed and he was actually running late at the end. So that was great that he spent as much time with me as he could. How did the date end? We somehow said, let's do this again. We were back at the vehicles and he said, if you want to do this again, let me know. And your response was? 
Sure. Yeah. But I think he was putting it in my court because he's still my vet. Was there a handshake, a hug, a kiss at the end? Definitely not a kiss. There might have been a hug, but I honestly can't remember. Did you hear from him shortly thereafter? I don't remember. But I do remember we texted, I'm not even sure who initiated, and then we made a plan the next week to go hiking close by. Take me through what happened on the hike. He actually walked there because it was close to where he lived. I was like waiting for him to roll up in one of his vehicles. I would recognize from the vet office, but he walked actually. So he kind of snuck up on me and was like, hey, yeah. And then we just talked about which way to go. Yeah, we started walking. He knew more about that area than me. So he led the way. The hike itself, were you getting more and more into him? Were you getting more attracted to him? How are you feeling? I was really looking at how he was dressed because I was used to seeing him in a professional attire with a tie on. And he was dressed in like an oversized t-shirt. And it was not that attractive to me. <laughs> so I noticed that. And then we're walking along and I think, you know, the conversation didn't flow as easily. And, you know, with hiking as opposed to sitting in a cafe, it's really different because you're not really facing each other. So that was a factor, I think. And then also like the conversation wasn't as fluid and we, and we didn't really have much else in common besides travel, apparently. So it was kind of like, okay, well, now what, you know? And I can't even remember what we talked about, but I remember feeling a little bit bored. And there's a thing for me about dating after online dating on and off for years. I learned that for the Myers-Briggs personality test, um, it's recommended. Some people think it's a really big, important thing. And I agree with this, that when you are looking for a date or compatibility, it's important that you're, that you're compatible in the second letter. So the first letter is E or I. And the second one is N or S. N is intuitive and S is sensory. And I'm an N. I'm very intuitive, like, you know, very, go very deep and everything. And sensory people are more like talking about like what's tangible. Like, hey, here's, here's the, you know, here's what's happening in the external world. And that's what's real to me. And I realized pretty quickly on this hike that he's probably an S, not an N. Oh, okay. Was that a yellow flag for you? It was a deal breaker in a way, because I was like, yeah, if I'm already a little bit bored, that's not going to work for me. So when the hike ended, how did you handle things with him? Yeah. So he's still my vet, right? So I'm like, okay, how do I do this? So we're, t we're standing beside my car talking. Somehow art came up or maybe he brought it up and he said, you know, sometime I'd love to show you the art, my art. And I was like, oh, he makes art. And I got this like burst of like, whoa, that's cool. I didn't know he made art, you know, maybe there's more here than I thought. And so I was like, yeah, sure. And so since he lives so close by and I had driven, I was like, well, I can give you a ride now if you want to, you know, show it to me. And he's like, all right. So we hop in my car and we drive to his place, which is just a few minutes away. And I go inside and I'm like, oh my God, like, <laughs> This guy's place is, the way I've described it to friends is it looked kind of like a, a frat house that had just had a bunch of guys move out of it. I mean, not like there were beer cans or anything like that, but there was hardly any furniture. There were like kayaks and, you know, mountain bikes and workout equipment and like miscellaneous kinds of stuff sitting in the floor that was random. So my brain was like really analyzing like the environment. 
So how old is this guy first off? Near my age. He's in his uh, mid forties as well. And has he had uh, kids before? Is he, no. has he been married? I don't think either. So you walk in and you see chaos in front of you <laughs> and the, your perception of him is so different all of a sudden than what it was when you walked into the vet's office and saw this guy with his tie and his nice suit. What were you thinking about him when you saw all this chaos in front of you? I was like, definitely not my partner. Um, and I was really intrigued because I feel like someone's face is a lot about them. So I was mostly just like, whoa, like, this is so interesting. Like from a sociological perspective. <laughs> so he went from being a potential future partner to being like a case study. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think he was picking up on your shock at what you were seeing? Oh, I wasn't shocked yet. So tell me more, what made you more shocked than the mess of his life that he had sprawled all over his place? So I saw in the corner, this like pretty thick stack of, um, you know, leaning against the wall, a pretty thick stack of uh, framed, not, not framed, but like stretched canvases that had painting on them. I walked toward it and I saw a couple other smaller ones around as well. And they were all monochromatic. So I walked up and I was like, oh, cool. They're all monochromatic. And so I started flipping through the bigger canvases. And these are like probably like two and a half by three feet or like three by four feet. They're pretty big. And so I start flipping through them. And he says, before you touch those, you might want me to tell you what it is. And my first thought was, oh, my God, it's animal blood or something. <sighs> Cause it's like this brownish color. And so then he proceeds to tell me that he has these nosebleeds and that the painting is from his blood. No way. Way. So when he gets a nosebleed, he goes and grabs a blank canvas from his closet and starts spraying it all over the canvas. Eventually that's what happened. So the first thing I said was how much does your nose bleed? <laughs> the amount of paintings that were there. I mean, it was like more than a dozen. I have never heard of anything like this in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's some artist who's done some crazy stuff before that maybe had to do with blood, but their own nose blood, like that's pretty interesting. You know? <laughs> he wanted to know what I thought of his art. So I'm like looking through it and I'm evaluating it, you know, as if I'm a fellow artist who can give some feedback or whatever, you know? So I'm just playing it cool and blood doesn't freak me out. I look through some of the paintings and I talk about which ones are my favorites and why. And about 20% of them were actually good composition. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I ask more questions because I'm like, okay, so how, how, did you, how did you start doing this? Where did this come from? And how much does your nose bleed? Because it's actually disconcerting. That's what I was wondering. So he hadn't had the nosebleeds in a while at that point because he really he learned that he put certain kind of oil in his nose. It will stop it from bleeding. Was he really engaged with you, like telling you his technique and, and what he was trying to achieve with these different canvases or like, yeah. it just kind of random how he sprayed these things? So I got the beginning story of it. He had said that he was working out one day and his nose started bleeding. So he just kind of like was frustrated or something and just kind of blew it on the wall. 
So it's still it was still on the wall. Was that an inspiration for his evolution as an artist? <laughs> I guess so, because I asked him, I was like, well, have you ever, you know, since your nose stopped bleeding so much, have you tried other mediums? And he's like, no. He's a nosebleed artist or no artist at all. Yeah. So then he opens up the closet in the area where the work the workout bench was. So it's a closet with a shelf. Above that part were stacks of canvases smaller canvases like one by two and you know square ones it's just like stacks of them and so my mind is like how much did this guy's nose bleed and and how did he do this and then how did he control it so like for me from an artist's perspective I'm like analyzing it you know as I'm as I'm standing there getting more of like the tour of uh, <laughs> his nosebleed art the collection yeah so did he explain that how he did it? Like all of a sudden he started to bleed. So he ran to the, another closet, got a blank canvas and then just dropped it down and pressed I mean, on his it nostrils. Was that, it was that simple, I guess. Did you get the sense that he had this technique down? Cause he had done this so many times and was trying to project different concepts and ideas and designs through his different canvases. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty impressive considering how limiting it would be to see how many different ways you can actually bleed on canvas, basically, you know, <laughs> and different tools you could use, like the spraying or like the thick blood and just like moving it or letting it. I mean, it was it was pretty, pretty <laughs> it was gross, but also very interesting. It's like, whoa, like. I mean, with that many canvases, there had to be a lot of variation, you know? And so it was like some were like landscape looking things and some were more abstract. It was pretty amazing what you can do with one color, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Why go to the paint store? Why go to the art craft store? <laughs> you can just rely on your nose absolutely, and your, and your own hemoglobin. It's organic. Uh, I know sustainability is a really big thing these days, and it's so important, but that is a whole different way to do sustainable art. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, because he had so many canvases, were you was he going to hold some art show somewhere in some gallery? Did he say no. anything about that? And I asked him, have you ever put this out there or like done anything with it? And he was like, no. And he wasn't painting anymore because his nose stopped bleeding so much. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> but I mean, I really think people would be, you know, people would come see this because it's so interesting and the art wasn't that bad, you know, because it's so amazing. It's so unbelievable, you know. What happened next, Jessica? <laughs> I think it was on the way to the date that day. I was like asking the universe, make this clear if this is going to be something or not. Because I was kind of like thinking about him a lot and had a lot of him in my mind a lot. And so I wanted to either, you know, move forward or let it go at that point. And so I was walking out of his place and I remember like walking up the stairs on the sidewalk from his place. And I thought, well, that was clear. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for a very clear message and I got the whole S thing. I thought that was clear, but then the nosebleed and the apartment thing. When you two said goodbye, did you think he was able to read where you were at with things? Yeah, I have no idea. He's not, he's kind of hard to read emotionally. So I don't know. I mean, I was still in my process of, you know, literally processing all that had just happened. There was a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
that I I don't I didn't pay attention to that much. I mean, he might he might have said if you want to get together again. I think he actually did say that. Um, but I knew that I wasn't going to hang out again. He's beyond my vet thing, you know, to be on the vet relationship. Did you hear from him after your second date? No. But he was your vet. Mm-hmm. How did you handle things with him from that point forward? I, you know, I don't think that I got a chance to see him again as my vet because I think we texted casually, just like, hey, what's up? How are you? Whatever. And he had some stuff going on with his family and he ended up moving out of town for that, out of, out of the state, actually. So it was, it was like, that was what was the conversation after that second date is because he was about to move um, to go take care of a relative, actually. Ah, so let's kind of uh, step back here. You met this vet, you had a crush on him, then you got to know him and you thought things were promising. Then you spent more time with him and the universe said, no, not your man. What did you take away from the whole experience? There's a few things. One of the biggest things is that these little things I was noticing about him were signs of a bigger thing. Like one time I noticed he had this nappy belt on and I was like dying to get my new belt. Like just like, and then I noticed on his motorcycle, there was like, you know, it was kind of patchwork seat, you know, it wasn't like that taken care of and it was kind of older. And so those kinds of things were like a precursor to seeing his apartment. Mm, those were tells those were Mm -hmm. hints yeah Yeah. so that was one thing and then the other thing is that you know between that and another date near that time I learned that you know people can be one way professionally and then their personal life is not indicative of how they are professionally how has that shaped your dating since you met Sean You know, I feel like the way I frame that is people look good on paper, but really the connection and the energy and the compatibility and lots of other things are more important than what it looks like on paper as far as what you have in common and like professionality and like lifestyle stuff, you know, overarching. It opened me up to dating people who were different than I would have thought. Like they look different on paper than I, than I would think. And it just opened me up to different possibilities that's a tremendous takeaway from this experience. Yeah, it's true. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. The story you shared is quite a memorable one. (laughs) And I don't think I'll ever look at a nosebleed the same way again. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like the show, we would love it if you'd go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You can also subscribe there or wherever you are listening right now. This podcast is also at firstdatestories.com where you'll find articles written by incredibly talented dating experts on all sorts of topics that provide inspiration, guidance, and support to single, divorced, and widowed women who are dating in midlife. And you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and Twitter. If you have your own memorable first date story to share, please don't keep it to yourself. We want to hear about it. Email us at hello at firstdatestories.com 
or go to the contact section of the website. Now for a quick run-through of the legalese. This podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as professional advice for our listeners. We suggest that you always consult with your own personal coaches and advisors. First Aid Stories does not recommend or endorse or object to the views or topics expressed on this podcast. Also, the names of the guests are changed for privacy purposes. This podcast is produced and edited by Kim Paletti and Lisa Gray of Soundline Productions and is brought to you by Espoir Ventures. First Aid Stories is here to help you be your best self, cheer you on, and encourage you to keep showing up for first dates because... On your next first date may be the lifelong love you are seeking.